north and south? Or is it really a war of east and west? Is that what the historians are fighting over today? We'll come back and explore that question with Larry J. Daniel, author of Days of Glory, The Army of the Cumberland, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpets cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of A Different Sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine, every Wednesday beginning at 4 p.m. right here on World Talk Radio. Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Jerry Prokopovich on Civil War Talk Radio. Talking today with Larry J. Daniel, author of Days of Glory, The Army of the Cumberland. Larry, we're talking about some of the unsung uh, leaders in the Army of the Cumberland, yes. people who've never been written about much. Uh, you mentioned Alexander McCook. You also mentioned uh, Thomas Crittenden. Yes. Crittenden was um, the son of a very famous uh, Kentucky senator. Uh, he was much more affable than McCook, much more popular than McCook, but uh, in the end, at best, a very mediocre uh, general. Uh, he His career also was ruined at uh, Chickamauga when the army routed. He took off for uh, Chattanooga. Now, his excuse for that later on was very flimsy. Uh, that prior to the route, he had uh, received a message to report to the Army commander, and the Army commander was headed toward Chattanooga. So, I mean, he doesn't deal with the fact that in between the time that he got the letter and responded to it, that the Army had routed. So uh, nobody bought into it. His career was over with, and both McCook and uh, Crittenden, were were axed after that time. Their careers were over with. And as was that of the Army Commander uh, Rosecrans. Yes, yes. Um, 
a brilliant man, a very capable man, but a man whose personality traits, unfortunately, may have been his undoing. What were some of those? Well, he had a, a very violent temper. He was a, he was a very religious man. He was a Roman Catholic, and uh, according to his fellow peers, his officers, a bit of a crank on the subject. He he reveled in theological debate and uh, would stay up long hours at night uh, talking about theology. Uh, despite that fact, he could often curse like a sailor. He made a distinction between cursing and using the Lord's name in vain. He would never do that, but cursing was quite acceptable. And uh, he was a very excitable person. He was not like, for example, Grant, who was a very calm, reserved. Uh, Rosecrans was excitable. And he, in battle, he could get so excited as to stutter at times. And uh, actually, I think that's the more normal reaction. It's I'm more curious about Grant and how he's unflappable in battle. I I can understand people like Braxton Bragg, who commanded the Confederate Army. I can understand Rosecrans. That's how I would be. I would be excitable in battle. But uh, Grant was was very calm in battle. So it's just an interesting observation. But he had a temper, and uh, he could just uh, explode. And uh, he, in fact... Um, had kind of an ongoing uh, issue with a division commander in his army by the name of Thomas Wood, who was a prima donna, also had a temper. And they had had some ongoing words prior to the Battle of Chickamauga. And um, uh, there was a misunderstood order in the battle. And as as you know, uh, his division was ordered to be pulled out of line, and that's exactly what the Confederates make breakthrough, so they spend the post-war years blaming each other on that, but um, a very um, very unfortunate personality traits, I would say, Rosecrans had. The, the Army of the Cumberland was not blessed with uh, charismatic commanders, uh, certainly. No, it, it was not, and I, I think that's one of the points that I want to make, because I think that we've studied so much about its counterpart, the Confederate Army of Tennessee, and we see it as an army that was immobilized with very weak leadership. It was uh, no band of brothers. There was no loyalty to Braxton Bragg, and we think... Uh, I think mythically about the Army of the Cumberland that it was unified when, when exa- exactly the same issues were going on in the Army of the Cumberland. Uh, there were disloyalties, there were cliques, and uh, an army that was much more paralyzed, I think, by politics. And the issue of uh, the Emancipation Proclamation was a big issue in the Army of the Cumberland, one that the soldiers struggled with. There was a lot of endemic racism in, in the Western theater, even in the, uh, the Northern Western theater, Ohio, Indiana, certainly Kentucky. Uh, so it was an army often immobilized by weak leadership um, and by fractured, polarizing politics. 
it, its commander at the time of the uh, the proclamation was, was, of course, Don Carlos Buell. Yes. And he was very uh, conservative on the emancipation right. question. He did right. not support and, it. And that, I think, started the rift between him and the men in the ranks. I don't think, uh, I mean, ultimately it would be an issue of, of his ability as an as a army commander, but certainly it was the issue of politics. He had a a soft view toward the South. He wanted to simply restore the antebellum South. He did not want radical change. And initially, I think that that went okay, but the war began to change as it unfolded. And certainly by the fall of 1862, it was unchanging, and views in the Army were changing as more upper Midwestern regiments came into the ranks and regiments from uh, Chicago. Uh, these were more liberal soldiers and they had a liberalizing effect on the Army. And uh, they had a more liberal view toward um, uh, uh, the, the black issue and what to do with the uh, the blacks. And uh, so that, that put them on a collision course politically, I think, with Buell. Well, you know, I've uh, written on the same subject, uh, right. both have written on this, and this makes bad radio because I agree completely with your views on this. <laughs> I, there's nothing for us to debate here. Uh, I, I've stressed the uh, the sack of Athens, Alabama, uh, as yeah. one of the turning points where the Army of the Cumberland, that that time the Army of the Ohio, uh, the br- brigade uh, Destroyed a eighth, eighth brigade, right? Yeah, they did, and uh, it was a retaliatory thing, which was uh, totally acceptable uh, to the troops. Now there was some bit of shock about that in the North initially. I mean, that there was the old view that civilians were hands off, but uh, as you say, it was retaliation because the citizens were were firing. That, at that's the just troops. it. There was too much guerrilla warfare going yes. on, and that's what upped the ante. And I think Buell never connected with his men on that and their feelings about that. So, no, he, he tried to punish the perpetrators instead of taking a harsh hand against that's right. the civilians. That's right. That's right. Now, the most famous commander of the Army of the Cumberland, and I certainly have to ask you about this, is, of course, George Thomas. <laughs> the, the one that I've taken the most flack over, right? <laughs> yes. You're, for for the perhaps two or three listeners who don't know your views on Thomas, uh, <laughs> tell us where you stand and why. You can turn. Actually, there's several websites for George Thomas, and you in which I'm vilified on them. Uh, well, you know, actually, the tr- the truth of the matter is, I paint a much more complicated uh, picture of Thomas than the pro-Thomas people want to admit. Uh, I just simply see it as a mixed picture. I think he was a general who uh, evolved over the war, as all of them did, Lee included. Um, I think that he was never a brilliant general. I think he was a competent general, but uh, a general who made mistakes along the way. Um, uh, he was He's a difficult man to understand as a personality because he was very reserved, very much to himself. He had all of his personal papers and letters destroyed at the end of the war, and I think that's kind of quintessential Thomas. He doesn't want us to get to know him too well. He doesn't want us to know what he was writing to his wife. That's Thomas. And um, so it's, it's, he's a difficult man uh, to get to know. 
traditionally he has been painted as a man who uh, oh he, that that famous expression of his I've taught myself not to feel but the truth of the matter is Thomas could be quite prickly and he could be quite moody and sullen and there were times when that happened um, I do hold him responsible for uh, to a large degree about what happened at Chickamauga true enough he saved the army but I think what he did to save the army barely redeemed his mistakes that caused the disaster to happen in the first place. Um, now, I don't go too much into Thomas toward the end of the war at the Battle of Nashville because by that time the army of the Cumberland breaks up. Right. And I didn't really know where to stop the book. I mean, at, at that point, it's at the end of the Atlanta campaign, there is no army of the Cumberland. So I write kind of a, a postscript about it. But I uh, really don't go that far with Thomas. Well, that that certainly Thomas's well, one of Thomas's finer moments is Nashville. Uh, others would say Chicago. No question about it. And it you know, it's interesting that uh, during the first Gulf War, uh, Norman Schwarzkopf always said that his Civil War hero hero was Sherman. But it's uh, interesting to note that the uh, battle plan, the American battle plan, uh, during the first Gulf War was George Thomas's battle plan at the. Battle of Nashville. It was it was in reverse, but it's the exact same uh, 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 wide swing around uh, around the flank. And I think you could even make an argument that the condition of the Confederate Army and the condition of the Iraqi Army was even very similar at that point. So uh, uh, look at the Battle of Nashville, and you'll see the battle that uh, was in the Battle of the, uh, the the First Gulf War. Very interesting analogy. Well, there is a sort of cult of Thomas. Uh, there are a lot of Civil War buffs who are very enthusiastic about him. No question about it. And I guess you've 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 heard from them. That... <laughs> yes, uh, one of them I, I challenged. Uh, one of them has a website, and uh, he, like I say, I'm vilified on it because I've dared to even raise some issues about uh, you know, let's take another look at this. Uh, and I've challenged him, you know, that I will respond to him if if he will put my letter on and uh, and. Uh, completely, I, and he has not responded to me. But um, you know, I I think that um, the, the problem that I have with some of these uh, Thomas diehards is that they're getting material from post-war sources, and you have to be careful about that. Uh, I think you have to uh, be able to back some of these things up uh, with what I call contemporary evidence. Uh, you know, if material that was written at the time and uh, so I end up throwing out a lot of this post-war stuff that has no contemporary backing at all and I think that's where a lot of the, the problem comes in the the one uh, full history of the Army of the Cumberland uh, prior to yours is of course right. Van Horn's right. volume set what was Van Horn's relationship with Thomas? Well, he was, they were very close friends, and, and uh, Thomas was the one who really commissioned him to, to write the book, and, and he had access to Thomas' uh, papers. And I would argue it was Van Horn's um, purpose, uh, really, to make Thomas the, the hero of the book. And, um, you know, now Van Horn really does not go into the fractured relationships between the officers. It reads more like the official records, uh, after-action reports too much. Uh, there is some unique information uh, in it every now and then. But, 
it's not a true army history. Um, but he um, he had a very close relationship, of course, with uh, with Thomas. And, and that certainly affects how we, we view Thomas today. Yeah. Now, I wanted you mentioned the East-West split in Civil War writing. Right. You've written about uh, Confederate soldiers as well. You've written about the Army of, of, of Tennessee. Yes. Yes. Do you uh, see differences between Eastern and Western Confederates as well as between Eastern and Western Union soldiers? Well, that's an issue that I dealt with in a book uh, I wrote on uh, soldiering in the Army of Tennessee, which is about the life of the common soldier in the Confederate Army of Tennessee. And I do a lot of this, you know, how are they different uh, type thing, uh, other than the obvious issue of morale, because one army was winning, one army was losing. Uh, You know, I think that the morale issue can be addressed, that the morale in the Army of the uh, the Army of Tennessee was from the bottom up, and the Army of the Northern Virginia was from the top down. It was all centered in Lee. Uh, you know, there's this famous scene in the movie Gettysburg. I don't know whether it's apocryphal or not, where Lee rides out and he is surrounded by Confederate soldiers yelling, Lee, Lee, Lee. And, you know, it's hard for us in the Western theater to envision a scene where Braxton Bragg rides out <laughs> and he's surrounded by people yelling, Bragg, Bragg. It just didn't happen. Uh, but there is uh, good morale. Uh, you know, I ask the question, why is that so? And I think, um, to a large degree, they saw the war differently than we see it in modern times. Battles that we see as clear defeats for the Confederates, they often saw as victories for themselves. So you have to kind of look at it in a different way. Uh, I, I think that's certainly true. And uh, that the image of, of Bragg's troops uh, surrounding him is, is a delightful one. And we'll take that one to the break. Uh, we'll take a moment off here, and we'll return in just a minute with Larry J. Daniel on Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> 